You have your ADHD diagnosis. Now what? Like a really great movie from the 90s that required two VHS tapes to fit everything. Titanic comes to mind. Truthfully, your listening habits have been all over the place. And after I was doing the interviews for this topic, I realized I had so much great stuff I wanted to include. And so two episodes feels like the right answer for everyone involved. These next two episodes of Refocus with Lindsay Gensel are going to dive into the moments that follow finding out you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and how to get yourself in the right place to find and decide on a treatment plan. Just as ADHD is different for everyone, so are the ways to treat it. What works for me might not work for you, and it's also important to keep in mind what's right for me right now might not be right for me in a year or two years or even six months from now. My name is Lindsay Gensel, and this podcast is a collaboration between me, a journalist and mental health advocate, more importantly, a human being living and working with ADHD, and ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare leader who not only provides accessible, affordable, and incredibly thorough ADHD assessments, But the team at ADHD Online is constantly adapting and reworking their treatment options to make sure they are providing something that works for everyone with ADHD. It's their commitment to treating the whole person, not just handing out a diagnosis and sending someone out on their merry little way into the world, confused and wondering what the heck just happened. It's that commitment that motivated me to partner with them back in February to collaborate on this podcast. And I'll tell you, that decision has been reaffirmed over and over again since the day we met. There is so much on the horizon for this podcast that I think you all are really going to love. And I will remind you of this over and over again. If you have something you want us to dive into, a topic or a question, or if you have an idea for an interview, please reach out. And don't shy away from pitching yourself. I want to tell your stories because those personal moments, those are the things we are all able to connect to and learn from. So don't be afraid to say, hey, Lindsay, I want to share my story. I actually heard this idea a few months back and I can't remember where I heard it, but I think it's perfect for situations like this where we struggle to get uncomfortable. Become your own pitch person. Become your own assistant, quote unquote. Like literally send the email from someone else. Maybe it's Jenny. Yes, Jenny, she's your assistant or maybe she's your neighbor or your cousin and she thinks we really need to hear your story. I hope my email, podcast at ADHDonline.com, is inundated by personal assistants named Jenny from all different corners of the world this week. And a shout out to Frankie, Marco, and Don for 
getting in touch with us. It's pretty awesome to hear people share kind words about this podcast. I take this very seriously and I'm really proud of what we're producing, but what I'm most proud of are the comments I hear from people who have connected with something we've shared. I don't expect everyone's going to like this podcast. I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, everyone would like it. But man, that is a lot of pressure. And as we all know, you can't please everyone. It would be real easy for me to hyper-focus on the people who left one-star reviews for this podcast but didn't leave actual comments on how I could make it better. Like, are these people I know in real life? What didn't they like about it? Was it the content or was it me? Those are the stories I'm telling myself, but I'll likely never know the truth behind any of that. And regardless of what the answer is, it shouldn't matter. What's that popular meme that seems to pop up whenever we need a reminder? It's stop trying to be liked by everyone. You don't even like everyone. And yeah, that could be said about podcasts too. I don't like every podcast. I don't like every TV show. I do think I like every kind of cheese and tacos. Well, I'm not a fan of hard shell tacos, so that doesn't work. But see, it's just life. And maybe I'm saying this to make myself feel better. I mean, I know I'm saying this to make myself feel better. The stories I've made up about who is behind those one-star reviews, well, it's seriously damaging. And it does me no good. And it definitely doesn't make me a better host or a producer or a researcher or human being. It makes me afraid. It makes me reserved. It makes me not me. Years and years ago, a colleague was tapped to give a very important speech. They spent so long writing something they were super proud of, and then they made the decision to have a friend give it a read. Well, the friend wasn't a fan, and they didn't keep that a secret. And so my colleague, they rewrote the entire thing. In fact, I think they sat with their friend and went line by line through the entire speech until the friend, not the person giving the speech, was satisfied. And you know what? It wasn't good. And it wasn't good because it wasn't my colleague. It wasn't them. It was their friend up there on that stage. And not only could the audience not connect with it, my colleague couldn't connect with it. And I'm certain that resonated with the audience. It's very hard to get out of our own way and do what we want and do what makes us happy and makes us feel good about ourselves because so often we hyper-focus on the reactions of those around us. And if I allowed myself to let anonymous people on the internet dictate how I make this podcast, well, I'd be scrapping every episode and starting over, just like my colleague did with her speech. There's no doubt there is room for growth with Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. And you know what? That's how it's supposed to be. And I see those opportunities and I'm constantly bouncing ideas off the team at ADHD Online how can we do this better? How can we connect with our listeners better? 
And you guys play a huge role in that, sending me suggestions and ideas through email and on social media, reaching out to me when you see me in public, and by leaving reviews. Do the five-star reviews make me feel good? Obviously. But it's the comments people leave, sharing a bit about what they connect with. That's the stuff that really propels us forward. So if you have a moment, I encourage you, wherever you are listening right now, take a moment and subscribe, rate, and review Refocus with Lindsay Gensel and send us a note, a critique, a suggestion for a topic, an idea for a person to interview, podcast at ADHDonline.com, or you can reach me on social media at Lindsay Gensel or at RefocusPod. Now, on to the show. next episode, you'll hear from Dr. Rafia Muhammad, the Division Chief of Medicine and Interim Chief Medical Officer for ADHD Online, and we'll walk through the specific things you should know as you start on your next chapter of your journey with ADHD. But I also want to run through how ADHD Online works. Some of you might be still in the pre-diagnosis phase and are wondering about your options to get yourself concrete answers. Others of you might have signed up and taken the assessment on a whim a little impulsively, and some of you might have been diagnosed years ago and are looking to find a better community to help you with your care. In order to be treated by the team at ADHD Online, you need to have completed an assessment with them, even if you've been diagnosed before. Well, you might be wondering why that is. Well, ADHD Online's assessment is incredibly comprehensive, and it gives their team of clinicians an incredibly in-depth look at how ADHD is affecting your life if you have it. It can also provide insight into other comorbidities that need to be addressed, and it sets a standard for care. I keep saying the assessment is thorough, and it really is. It is set up to give the most complete picture, which is instrumental in making sure treatment plans are accurate and on point, meaning you are simply setting yourself up for the best possible scenario for success. So here's what you can expect from the moment you create an account with ADHD online. It'll take you about 5 to 10 minutes to set up your free account, and then another 60 to 90 minutes to take your assessment. This comprehensive assessment was developed by psychologists and physicians, and while it can be done in one sitting, you do have the capacity to answer a few questions, hit save, and come back to it whenever you want. Then in 3 to 5 days, you'll get your results. ADHD Online will send you an email when your results are ready to be viewed in your patient portal. And let's say ADHD Online's team of doctorate-level psychologists do diagnose you as having ADHD. Then it's time to find out about your options depending on where you live. Well, for me in Minnesota, I can work with ADHD Online for my medication management, but teletherapy isn't available here yet. But if you're in one of the states where teletherapy is available, like Texas or Ohio, You can work with the team at ADHD Online for both your medication management and teletherapy. Every state has different guidelines for what's allowed with telemedicine. And what I love about ADHD Online is they are constantly working to make their services available to as many Americans who want them as possible. That's been one of the few good things about the COVID-19 pandemic. It really opened up these important dialogues on the need and benefits for telemedicine in this country. 
And it is important to know that once you've received your diagnosis from ADHD online, you can make the decision to take it to your primary care provider for treatment. You don't have to use ADHD online. For more information on treatment, pricing, and to find out what's available where you live, head over to ADHDonline.com to start your journey today. My name is Jen Verhagen, and I work at ADHD Online. I am someone who wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 28. And so once I was diagnosed, I learned that ADHD is not the typical stereotype that many people think of and that the symptoms aren't the same for each person. And so because of that, there isn't a one-size-fits-all when finding solutions and ways to help manage and thrive with your ADHD. And so it's a little bit of a trial and error of finding the best ways um, to do things. So example would be my way of staying organized in my home isn't going to always work for someone else. So um, it's definitely been a learning process, but having that diagnosis has definitely helped me figure things out and become more successful in life. to share. Keith, thank you so much for joining us again. Absolutely. As always, happy to be here. I've been thinking about the few days around my own diagnosis and what I did and what I wish I had known. And I'll be honest, it's all very much a blur. It was in the middle of the pandemic. It was also winter in Minnesota, which is pretty, pretty miserable. And all I know is I was diagnosed I went to the pharmacy. I got my prescription. The next morning, I took it. And that afternoon, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is incredible. I didn't know I could feel this way. I didn't know that I felt like, you know, my brain was stuffed with dryer sheets. That's the example I use is like, you know, just this like weird veil. (laughs) Yeah. And you were kind of in the opposite boat than me, than my story, because you – were diagnosed, and then you just kind of sat on it. Talk about ADHD in practice. I was diagnosed without going through formal diagnosis by a therapist pre-pandemic when I was going, I was seeking therapy for other stuff and dealing with anxiety, depression, and not really knowing what was going on. And the therapist said, you clearly have ADHD. And I, you know, again, I just put it in my mind of like this, I am not the, what I think of ADHD. So that can't be me. And then coming to work here uh, in October. So coming out of the pandemic for me and having been at home and coming back into the office and suddenly dealing with every day, people talking about ADHD talking to employees that have ADHD, co-founders that have ADHD, and my wife has ADHD. And so it was kind of like all the, you know, how many alarm bells do you need? So I took the diagnosis and I was actually just trying to look back. I think it was 
late February or early March that I finally took it. And I think I mentioned to you in chat this morning, I, I finally signed up for an appointment with a, a provider this Friday and it's taken me this long and I've kind of gone through just the reckoning, I guess, but also kind of not holding myself accountable to kind of like, okay, you actually got, you've got some news that you can act on. And there's that little bit of like, okay, what if, but I mean, this is a process, right? And I think to each their own. And I talked to my therapist about it, my current therapist, and it's very encouraging because I feel like I'm going into it this time differently. I actually, I mean, I tried a stimulant before, after my first therapist said that. And I, you know, I was working with my general physician and I don't think I probably gave it enough time. I know, you know, you hear about titration and not getting the right dose. I definitely fell into that category because for whatever reason, I just felt like this is just, it's just not working for me. It's not doing what I was hoping for. So I'm going back into it with a different attitude this time. And I think I wish I had just known like, hey, it's okay to do this. Like, I think I just, there's still kind of a part of me, even having the diagnosis in hand where I go, I don't know, it sometimes doesn't feel real. And I guess it's just still uh, coming to, to grips with it. Oh, for sure. I, I think the way that I have handled the surprise of the diagnosis and sometimes other people's reaction to the diagnosis is just being as blunt about it as possible. Like it's straight up ADHD overshare. I'm just like, I have ADHD. This is why I do this. This is the reason I behave this way. This is why I am a very sensitive human being and I need you to treat me this way or we can't spend time together. You know, like. Right. I, I know I need to do that myself, honestly. Because I, I feel like sometimes now I'm in that phase of stumbling through that of trying to figure out what to say about it or how to, especially with my parents and others. And it's not like we're not talking about it. It just still feels like, I guess I'm trying to not make it feel like it's a blame game and more of a, hey, look at what we know now. Right. It is hard. I mean, because we are dealing with our own feelings. We're dealing with the feelings of people around us. And I've had this conversation a few times about the stigma that comes with wanting to take medicine or wanting to try medicine and, and see how it works. And when you know how the ADHD brain works and how stimulants then kind of come in, I, I remember I was talking with my therapist about about people being concerned about the stimulants, you know, are you becoming too self-reliant on them? I, I think it actually happened when there was confusion about getting my prescription refilled and it was delayed and I kind of went into that panic because I am a better human. I feel like a better human. I function as a better human when I am on my medicine. And all of a sudden there was this like, it might not be there tomorrow and you have to go and do all of these things. And of course, you know, anyone with ADHD, add another thing to the list and just can spiral so quickly. And I remember in that moment, I was worked up. I was very frustrated. I didn't like the fact that I had done what I had been told to do. And then I was being told to do something else, which is just so frustrating. And 
there were people in my life who kind of saw it and went, why are you getting so upset about this? Well, one, I'm a highly sensitive human being. I get upset about a lot of things. And it's not necessarily angry. It was like I was emotional. And their reaction to it was, okay, she is becoming too attached to her medicine. And I brought it up immediately in therapy because I needed to have an arsenal of ways to respond that were not getting defensive. And my therapist straight up said, if you broke your leg and you needed crutches, no one would take your crutches away from you. This is like that. And I think, you know, and I, I've said this, it's like, well, that's an extreme analogy. And she was like, nope, that's how you have to look at it. Dr. Schroeder, one of our practicing physicians, you know, he uses the analogy of sticky brakes, right? And you can't drive into an intersection with brakes that you're not trusting are going to stop. And the elephant in the room for a lot of people is how can someone have their life being improved by the same substance that someone else might end up like this stereotypical trope. I mean, the, I hate to say it, the meth head. I mean, that's, we've had, we have people call in and say, Oh, you're just, you just want to turn kids into meth heads. It's just shameful to hear. And that's the kind of thing we know people are hearing from people in their lives. And quite frankly, like, I feel like we have to stand up for it. Like it's not right because it is different. And that, you know, Dr. Schroeder's analogy, the sticky break, if it helps someone slow down and be focused and because of the ADHD brain, to your point, it regulates and just becomes a part of the routine. And that's why once you get to the right dosage, you don't typically need to go up or down. The brain isn't seeking more. It's just seeking the same. And so it's not the typical brain where to get to that same level, it's going to need more and more of the substance. And that that's just a vast gap of understanding. I mean, it's kind of like all of the stigma that's coming around like treating things versus like criminalizing it or acting like they're all, you know, immoral. It's a part of what we're doing is trying to help end that stigma and stand up for people with ADHD and say, this is why, this is why it's different. And it is just like a crutch. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, um, but that it's not a crutch in the sense that, oh, you know, I kind of need it like a, a, you know, a kick in the pants to get me going. I mean, we're we're talking about brain function. It's just a a wildly different thing. It's not like, you know, what are you going to put in your pantry? I had an incident happen, oh gosh, it would have been back in February. I was going down to Florida to visit my mom, and the airport is always incredibly stressful for me. Going on trips, packing, it's not enjoyable. I am planning like I'm going to be in the desert for three weeks, and there's not going to be a Target next door, and I'm literally, you know, it's it's my... uh, brain going into like emergency response. I am planning for every single scenario that could possibly happen. So I get to the airport and it is much closer to my flight time than I would like. And I got to the front of the counter and the gentleman said, 
you know, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to move you to the next flight. And I could feel the panic set in. You know, it's like five in the morning. My mom is going to meet me at the airport. It's that feeling of just pure embarrassment and failure and shame. And I, I, I just said, could I just, could I speak to you very quickly? And it took all of the courage in the world. And I could feel myself shaking as I just said to him, I said, I have ADHD. I have extreme anxiety. It would be really amazing if you could help me at least try to make the flight. If I don't make it, I'll come back and rebook. I just, it would mean a lot to me if you would allow me the opportunity to try and make the flight. And he said, okay, let me go speak to someone. And it was one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done because I was in this very public place and I was telling someone I will never see again, something very personal. And who knows? Maybe he thought it was just, you know, this excuse that I was throwing around. And he went and he talked to a supervisor. They came back and he said, we can allow you to try and get on your flight. Your bag might not make it. And I said, no worries. You know, I was, it was just this feeling of, I felt like I was right back where I was before my diagnosis. Like everything I had been working on had gotten thrown out the window because I was overwhelmed. Long story short, made my flight. My bag made my flight. But I will say I was so proud of myself in that moment for advocating for myself. It took a lot. It took a lot because I could have easily done what I would have done in the past, which is I would have just said, oh, okay, and I get it. It was my fault by all means of the imagination. I am not trying to sit here and say that I couldn't have planned better that morning, but that's hard for me. It is literally like my brain is not wired to make that easy. And so that's why, you know, Everything we do and everything that we put out there and these conversations that we're having, even if we're not changing the minds of the people who want to stay closed off and want to stay in their bubble, we're at least creating a space for people who know that they have a place to go. You know, they have people who understand them because that is sometimes the most critical part of, of this whole little experiment we're all running through called life. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're so right. And I think that advocating for yourself, you know, stopping to ask. I mean, I, I'm always amazed. People sometimes will say, how did you get such and such to happen? And I'm just like, I I just took the time to ask. Like, it didn't work out in the moment, but then how could we maybe make it work in the future? And, I, you know, going back to understanding my ADHD, I think that was one of my early superpowers I uncovered was my willingness to kind of be brave in the face of just walking up to whatever and asking. And I think, you know, this podcast, this role, doing the things I'm doing in the webinars, you know, it's a new form of being vulnerable because I'm doing it attached to my job. It's not just myself. And, but it's also highly relevant to my life. And so it's really gratifying in a way, like, I, I feel lucky to be here. One of those right time, right place um, opportunities that just, you know, does feel like one of those magic moments in life. So I, I'm relishing it because it is, you know, I've gotten feedback, I think I told you recently, just through my network even around um, people that have said, hey, I appreciate what you said in this episode of the podcast, it made me think about myself something maybe that's going on with me. 
And I would have never expected that. I, I never, you know, would have thought, just, you know, us talking about what we're doing and and the things we're going through um, would help. I just, I guess, I just, I mean, I hoped it would, but I just never expected it to come back so fast, given where we are. So it's it's very exciting and encouraging, and I would recommend people try it because, like you, look at what happened, right? You made your plane, and that person might feel more comfortable sharing something about themselves when they're in need. You know, I think too often we get mad or we like blow up at people because we don't kind of let off some of the pressure that's behind what we're going through. And when we do open up and share, people are a lot more empathetic than we give them credit for. Right. Yes, you have to give people a chance. Like one thing I have learned is I am very closed off when it comes to allowing people to respond to me kindly. You know, like I I think I respond to people kindly, but I always am waiting for the reaction that I have set up in my head, you know. And so uh, giving people the opportunity to like surprise you and to show up for you, it's very freeing. It takes a lot of that pressure off. It does. It's like the trust fall. Oh, gosh. I have horrible memories of having to do that at, at summer camp. <laughs> I'm thinking about my daughter at summer camp right now, so it popped to mind. I want to end this by asking if there is any advice that you would share with people who have either just received their diagnosis or who are sitting there thinking, I, I should take the assessment, I should, you know, really kind of go down this path. What is something that when you look back at these last couple of years and, and the conversations you've had, what is something that you wish you had known or you had thought about prior to being told, like officially, yes, you have ADHD? I guess I just, I wish I would have known to look for the signals. Because when, when I, you know, when it was kind of mapped out for me, it was like, uh, hello, you know, of course you've been on this highway. Like what? Like, you know, the map couldn't be more clear. And so to be at a midpoint in life and suddenly to feel like, wow, things are coming into clarity. There's certainly there's that, oh, I, you know, I wish I'd known sooner or I wish I'd taken action on it sooner. So I would just encourage people, you know, be honest with yourself and knowledge is, is, is really power. Just knowing more about yourself, I think is critical to happiness and, and leading a good life that feels like you're balanced and in touch with yourself. Well, as always, Boz, I love our chats and we will uh, talk with you next week. In the meantime, take care of yourself. All right. Will do Lindsay. You too. Quick shout out to last week's episode on procrastination. I had a three episode podcast. I uh, walked away from it after it got on the iTunes charts. And I can't tell you how many things I procrastinated on last week. I mean, it, it is an ongoing battle. And, I, you know, I just, it's so helpful to connect with others that you can share and be honest with. And that's what I, I love that we're hearing that from others too, because it is vital, I think, for people to kind of raise their voice and hand and say, oh yeah, going through that. Because when you know you're not alone, it just makes it so much easier. Mm -hmm.
Fitness with Lindsay Gensel is a collaboration between me, Lindsay Gensel, and ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare leader offering affordable and accessible ADHD assessments, medication management, and teletherapy. You can find out more by visiting ADHDonline.com. This show's music was created by Lewis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based out of Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. A huge thank you to Keith Boswell for joining me this week and sharing so much of his own ADHD journey with us. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review Refocus with Lindsay Gensel wherever you're listening now. And join us later this week as we put in that second VHS and wrap up this episode. Have your ADHD diagnosis. Now what?